Welcome back to Post Traumatic Thriving. And Tanya, it's great to have you back. Happy to be here. And Anthony Brown is in the house. Good to have you back, buddy. Hey, thank you. Yeah, so to recap where we've been, if you if you didn't listen to the first two episodes, you really got to because it's just crazy interesting. But Anthony was born in Ohio. I was born in Ohio. Um, but you grew up, you know, literally from your first day of life with trauma with the umbilical around your cord around your neck. Then you're in a home where your mom, your dad's not there. You don't know who your dad is. You have three siblings. They have different dads. Um, that's a kind of trauma that uh, is kind of trauma, traumatic right after, right off the bat because every little boy wants to know their dad. Um, maybe that was just kind of your normal. Um, then you grow up, frankly, you're drinking beers at six. You're shooting, you're using pot at a, in young teenage eight years or and using needle drugs at 13, you know, it's a really tough, tough thing. But to you, it's just kind of a normal way of growing up. There's violence in your backyard. There's crime. You're committing crime. And then you join the carnival at age 15. Um, more crazy stuff going on there. You're homeless, basically. Um, it's, it's a tough thing. Then you move to Southern California. You move here to Orange County. And this is the real OC we're talking about. None mm-hmm. of this BS TV show right? stuff. No, this is no, real you're OC. Costa Mesa. You're, you're one of four black people in, in the city of Costa Mesa. And it's a predominantly white community. People treat you well. It's not really a color thing, but it's uh, you're, you're dealing drugs out of, out of uh, fast food restaurants in, uh, on Harbor Boulevard, right down the street from Disneyland. And um, more of this so-called normal then one day you're arrested by the same cop who's arrested you before. He get, you have kind of a relationship with him, and he says something to you that kind of wakes you up. He says, "Why don't you do something with your life?" And it kind of occurs to you for the first time that um, you know something's off. Mm-hmm. Then a lady invites you into a drug rehab in in Newport Beach. You wake up to this very um, uh, you know no pun intended sobering reality where people talk real there you're not you're not gonna, gonna you're not gonna snow the snowman right you're not gonna con the card artist you know you're in there with other people that have done that stuff been dishonest and landed in the life of addiction and and um, alcoholism and you go for a year and a half sober you got a, a boring elevator music job and you go to a meth house you're kind of dabbling with your old friends the spoon of, what was the drug again? Meth. 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 Okay. Whoa. Yeah. And you, you take the hit of meth and boom, you're down again. And in the last episode, we talked about you stabilized with 20 years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that in those 23 years, you've done some crazy interesting things. And to put the music metaphor on it, you were, what would the music be from your childhood? What kind of music was that? Mm, it would probably be some um, old, old, um, Otis Redding or something. Sitting on okay. the dock of the bay. That kind of like really slow. Okay. Like it's all sad. You're all this okay. guy. Sad. Yeah. Otis Redding. Otis yeah. Redding. And then you go to sobriety, which is elevator music. Yeah. Okay. And then you go into the meth house. That's Metallica, a lot of fun. And now you've had 23 years of sobriety, which you call Pink Floyd. Right. I love okay. this. Which is awesome. That's a great way to kind of put 
identities to each of these phases Chapters, of your life. Yes. Yeah, each chapter. So tell us more about Pink Floyd. Tell us about this 23 years of sobriety. And, and let's just start with, with what those first days right after you come out of sobriety, what they look like. Okay, so um, I, I get arrested again. Okay, and I'm in jail. And um, by then, the recovery seat had been planted. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when um, my interpretation of God started to switch. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of asking for favors, um, it was like, well, you know, thank you for saving me, blah, blah, blah. And so that went on. I got released. Um, the lady from the treatment center came and picked me up, um, put me in another place. She helped me out. She scholarship me. And um, I had probably two years of sobriety at that point. And I went to a park. And this is where I had my, like, total God thing. I went to the park, and I was sober two years. And I said, you know, because I, I wanted to figure out what, what is this God thing? What's it all about? You okay. know, and I'm a firm believer that um, if you if you want information, go to the source. And so I sat at the park and I said, you know what, God, I know cars run on gas and I know this concrete bench is solid. I know that for a fact. Prove to me you exist. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when I had my spiritual awakening. <laughs> yes. Let me preface it by, um, for me, God reaches people in ways in which is deep and personal, in which they understand to the point where there is no doubt in their in that individual's mind. Mm-hmm. And what happened to me that day sticks with me today, mm. and it will never, ever leave me. And 23 years ago? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, one, after I said that, I, I looked, I was laying on the bench, I looked up, and the trees, like, were vivid. They were like pastel. They were huge. And I looked below me and all these little animals came out the woods and they were surrounding my bench. And I felt this sense of ease and comfort within me. And I was given instructions and it's pretty tripped out. And the three things I was told is one, don't hate. Two, don't intentionally harm nobody. And three, always finish what you start. Mm. Mm. And I live by that even to this day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so It's a nice rule book. It's deep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I started out with an eighth grade education. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I started out unemployed and I started, I I started finishing when I started, you know, I started going to school in which I never could complete because I was under influence of drugs. And um, I actually started completing courses. I um, started going to school to become a psych tech. I took all those courses. I passed. Um, I'm a person because of my history. I have a bunch of felonies, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I just did the work. And a lot of people would, would tell me, it's like, you're not going to be able to get licensed. And my thing is, well, God said for me to do this. And lo and behold, I got a license. You wow. know, And your licenses? And- um, this time I got my license in psychiatric technology. Okay. I'm a licensed psychiatric technician. Okay. And so I'm still going to school. And um, then I got my associate in arts degree. Okay. Then I continued to go to school and then I um, became a, a registered nurse. Okay. And going to nursing school, they, they're really strict on background checks because everything I'm doing, mm-hmm. I have to get fingerprinted. Right. And they pull up my rap sheet. And I remember that, um, you know, some would say, and hey, they'll never give it to you. I was like, you know what? This is what God wants me to do because everything I do right now, and I don't, I don't use God's name loosely. This mm-hmm. is my reality and how I think and feel and believe and act. Yeah. And so 
you know, I'm going to nursing school and I remember in school, initially they said, well, you have to contact the nursing board, you know, to see if you're able to do this. And I would contact the nursing board and they would send me to enforcement because of my felonies. Uh-huh. And enforcement would say, well, we can't tell you if we're going to give you a license until you finish school. And so I'm like, whoa, okay. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so I pray about it. And God just says, finish what you start. Mm. And I finished school. And when I got done, the nursing board said, okay, well, we'll give you a nursing license, but we will restrict it and put you on probation. And I'm okay. like, probation? Really? That's it? I know probation, <laughs> dude. <laughs> and that's what I meant. I, I went through all of this stuff, you know, and by then I had 11 years of sobriety and they said, well, you have to go to at least one 12 step meeting a week. <laughs> I'm doing two a day. Okay. <laughs> you know, and what else? And they go, well, you have to like do these random UA tests. <laughs> so for 11 years. Okay. okay. You know, and so I breathed through that like it was nothing. And it's because of the past I went through. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You know? So they're telling you to do stuff you're already doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, dude, I know probation. Right? I mean, seriously, is that? Okay. I've been to prison. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean you, want, me you want a sample? I'll give you something, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, so I went through all of that. And then um, I got done with my, with my nursing and I thought, okay, I want to do something else. And so I decided to go to Cal State Portland where I got my bachelor's degree. Okay. And so now I got a bachelor of science in nursing. And while I was there, I got my public health um, nursing degree. Uh-huh. And um, in the midst of all of this, it's like I, um, I started picking up certificates, you know. Then I became a certified addiction treatment counselor, a third level nurse. I became certified in anger management, mm. um, certified in domestic violence. You know, I'm just doing things, you know. I was um, working for a treatment center early on. Um, Cause that's where I lived at when I first got started. Uh, they allowed me to be a house manager at another treatment center. And on my way to my parole officer, I got a phone call from the director of the, their program director or something. And just from normal conversation, she's like, we would like to have a dual diagnosis program. And I'm like, you want a dual diagnosis program? She goes, it'd be nice. And so, you know, I, I was I was in the psych tech program, and me and a fellow student, mm-hmm. we we put together a dual diagnosis program for the Well, let's center. explain nice. what that is. Yeah, what so is I happen that? to know what it is, but yeah. why don't you explain to the audience what a dual diagnosis? A dual diagnosis is when somebody has a substance abuse and mental health issue right. at the mm-hmm. same time. Right. Right. And it's called double trouble. Yeah. 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 It's like co-occurring dual co-occurring, diagnosis. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Double trouble. I never heard yeah. about that. Yeah. I made it up. It's good. <laughs> and um, it's it's really fascinating because a lot of people think, you know, people get stuck in which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did you have a mental illness and you self-medicated or, you know, did you do enough drugs to make you mentally ill? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, but um, we treat both at the same time. Okay. And so I did this program for this, for this treatment center. And um, and then I left that treatment center and um, they kept the program, but the model and the design I created. So I kept it. And so I started my own company you know, which is care. Mm-hmm. And so I actually made treatment portable. So it's called care? Yes, coordinated assisting recovery environments. Nice. nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's bring it apart a little bit because there's such a flood of achievement here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you went from an eighth grade education to get in a college degree. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. And, you you know, what's cool, I grew up in Florida. So Cal State Florida is right across the street from my high school, Troy I. 
is um, right across the street. And uh, so we got that, we got that in common, but that, that's an accomplishment right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many, how many folks coming out of the, you know, the uh, mass incarceration system, you know, earn college degrees? Well, you know, a lot do actually, mm-hmm. and you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go for a nursing degree, which, you know, you're, you, you know, let's be honest, the nurses do really the heavy lifting with yeah. a lot of our medical situations. Mm-hmm. The doctors pop in, but they're spread thin. And that's a big responsibility. You're handling drugs. You're, you're, you know, mm-hmm. literally people's lives depend on your reliability and dependability and, and everything else. You prove to the, the certification boards that you had a full, complete, honest, thorough recovery mm-hmm. to the point where they, where they granted that. I loved your attitude about the, the parameters they put on them because they're doing their jobs. They don't, right. they, they don't want uh, yahoos, you know, in hospitals, you know, with syringes. So um, you're, you're, you know, accepting responsibility. Yes, I do have this rap sheet and yeah, it is kind of long and yeah, you've made some serious mistakes, but you know, you've turned it around that, that in and of itself is thriving in there and surviving yeah. in a, in a major, major league way. But you're, you're accepting the responsibilities from this. Mm-hmm. You're working through it. And, but it just keeps going from there. Now you start a company up. Um, tell us more, more about care and what, what you do there. Uh, what we do is we go out, we contract with different facilities, whether it's substance use or mental illness. And we um, do groups for them. We educate uh, some of their staff members. We'll mm-hmm. even go in and do a complete treatment restructure. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that has to do with um, people that have substance use, mental illness. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're uh, leaning more into the homeless thing, but that's a different um, avenue. But yeah, that's what we do. Well, awesome. hey, but I know you're involved in homelessness too. You were mm-hmm. homeless, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, talk about what, what you're up to there. Okay. Um, well, the homeless thing came later in life. Okay. okay. Uh, but after I got done um, with care and my education, got my bachelor's degree, I, um, I, I share my story. I've written this story or some explanation of it throughout my whole life. I mean, I, I filed for my own certificate of rehabilitation um, going through that process. And so telling my story is not really hard for me because mm-hmm. it allows me to face everything mm-hmm. continuously. And I feel that um, the more the more light you shine into the darkness, the less scary the skeletons are in that closet. And so I, I do it all the time. And I've shared it so much in like meetings that somebody said one day, well, dude, that sounds cool. Why don't you write a book about it? Mm-hmm. You know? And so I wrote my book. That was my first book. And what's Beautiful. the name of it? Um, from park bench to park Avenue. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where'd you get the title? Tell us about the title first. Um, because I always hear people always say, Oh, I go from park Avenue to park bench. It's like, no, I went the other way, dude. It's like, I went from park bench to park Avenue. Okay. Which is, which is true. I mean, I literally lived on a bench and the life that I lead now is totally like park, park Avenue ish. Yeah. Well, you're not just, a, you know, you're here in, in Orange County. I've heard your name for a while. It's such a, I, again, an honor to meet you in person. But you're a big name in Orange County. You know, you, you, you've, you've had a big positive effect on Orange County. Mm-hmm. You know, I know, I know your, your intro in Orange County was dealing drugs out of, uh, <laughs> uh, out of Harbor Boulevard, but you've transcended that. And now you're doing big things 
big name. You're a big events. Uh, you're a big hero in our community. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, and we're really as a phenomenal as a lifelong uh, you know, resident, you know, I came from Ohio too, but I was nine months old when we moved here. Um, you know, you're, you're a really big part of the Orange County story, mm-hmm. what Orange County is all about. Um, and this, this podcast is not about Orange County, but that was, that's where we happen to be. Right. And you happen to be a big, a big part of the fabric of, of the fabric of our community. So, you know, we're just so we're grateful for that, but tell us, tell us more about the book. What's in the book and why should people get the book? Cause um, I think they should. Mm-hmm. Um, the book uh, from, from um, Park Dimension Park Avenue is pretty much an autobiography. Um, it's written in a way so people can understand, you know, what it's like to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. You know, same story that I shared here. Um, what it takes to get out of that situation and the benefits of it, you know. Um, I just want people to understand that, you know, struggling is just part of life. Mm-hmm. It, it's the way, it's your perception and how you interpret it and what you do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I can always say, oh, you know, woe is me, my life is this. But you know what? I can never be nine years old again. So why live like I was nine? Right. 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 You know? So, Anthony, as, an, as, a, as a grown man, what, if you could talk to that nine-year-old kid today, that was you years ago. What would you say to that nine-year-old? Hmm. It's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going to be okay. You know? Um, Yeah. That's all you can say to me at nine. Okay. You know, that it's going to be okay. Mm Because I didn't understand anything else. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And what's, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to that kid sitting in jail or in prison on a drug charge? What would you say to that individual? Probably the same thing. Cause if you're sitting in prison for a drug charge, your, your disease has already gotten to the point where, you know, it's starting to cause you some negative consequences and you have to get to the point, my belief until you actually leave an opening to hear something Mm -hmm. because I've been in and out of prisons and it didn't matter until that one point where I was just sick and tired of being tired and sick. Mm -hmm. You know, things do get better if you allow it to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, My philosophy on life is, you know, this is all temporary. You know, human beings are born with an expiration date. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's, I had never heard it put that way. That's true. We all have an expiration date. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's what you do between birth and that expiration date is what matters. Gotcha. You know, you can either choose to suffer or keep reliving it, or you can experience everything as just another little niche in life and keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and, beautiful and, outlook. Yeah. And on your, on your spiritual journey, you start, I asked you about what, you know, God looked like as a kid. It was just like my mom dragged me to church once yeah. in a while and then you were talking to God along this whole path, you know, God, please hide me, help me hide these drugs from the cops or whatever these prayers look like. I don't know. You tell me, but then you had a real spiritual awakening. What, what would you say to that person who's really struggling about why on earth would God, if there's a God, why, why would God do this to me or to do this to my loved one? What would you say to that person? Just ask God. 
Mm. Just honestly and sincerely and wholeheartedly with no reservations asked. Mm -hmm. It's it's written everywhere. You know, what is it? Knock and you shall enter, seek mm -hmm. and you shall find. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. You know, right. Yeah. just just ask. I did. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it's it's sometimes I can't find the right word to describe. It's indescribably delicious. It is. Oh, I like mm. that. I mean, my whole philosophy and everything I do and everything I experience is completely attributed. I mean, I was to the point because I, I um I remember I used to say, okay, God, what next? And then something will happen. So, okay, what next? Something happens. And then I got to the point where it's like, okay, God, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And then God's like, I'm not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and so the next thing pops up. You know, um, I have a brother because addiction is a family disease. My brother is older than me and he's in his disease. And he was going through what I went through back then. He was living in an abandoned doctor's office, you know? And when I talked to him, you know, I'm like, okay, dude, like find out who owns that building. I'll buy it. Then that way you got a place to live and he couldn't do it. And so I said, okay. So I just, I bought a mansion instead. You mm. know, I bought a 9,000 square foot house in Mansfield. that mm -hmm. I'm just going to give to the homeless people. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know. And what's it called? It's called Brown Manor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's tell us about Brown Manor. Tell us more about that. I love Brown Manor. It's um again, um total God shot in his time, not mine. Um, I bought Brown Manor without ever even seeing it. I mean, I've seen a picture of it, but I never been in it. And so I ended up buying it. And um when I finally went to seal the deal and sign the paperwork. I, I flew to Ohio to look at it. Now, this this house has been empty for a while. Mm -hmm. And I walked, when I first walked in the door, there was like a dried bat hanging off the light. <laughs> like, man, you could like smell mildew through the house. I mean, it was a massive yeah, Adam's family. Uh, yeah. Adam's family yeah. yeah. And I'm like, are you serious, God? You know? And then I went back to my hotel room and I prayed. Mm. And I went back the next day and I opened that same door. And it's like, oh my God, this is like so beautiful. I mean, a 1916 house with stained glass windows beautiful. everywhere, old French doors. Oh, how beautiful. And I'm the like, prisms. I'm like, so many lives are going to be saved in here. Mm. Oh. You know? And then it's like, okay, God, how am I going to pay for it? You know? And he's like, don't trip. Yeah, he provides. Yeah, he provides. All I get is just the footwork. And so that's that's my thing. And so proceeds from, you know, the books, everything I do, you know, it's all for Brown Manor. And they say you have to give it away to keep it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, none of this stuff is, is my stuff. It's all mm -hmm. God's stuff. Right. You know, I, I've never once seen a Hertz with a U-Haul trailer connected to it. Mm-hmm. We're mm -hmm. not taking it with us. Right. Right. You know, we're not. So if, if people want to contribute to Brown Manor and, and what, are, what, where do we find you and what do we, what, how do we do that? Um, well, my website is www.anthonyhowardbrown.com. Uh -huh. um, Brown Manor does have a GoFundMe and then the book from um, Park Bench to Park Avenue. But you can go to my website and everything's connected there. You know, um, Anthony Howard Brown.com. Yes. Okay. And, and everything's connected there. Everything I do is just for that. It's just for Brown Manor, you know, cause that's, that's why I was given this life so that I can help somebody else. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what stage is Brown yeah. Manor in? When did you buy what, what year did you buy it? I bought Brown Manor probably two and a half years ago. Okay. And right now we finally got the roof done. We finally have all the um demolition done. Okay. Because there's oh my God, there was like so much work to be done in there, right. you know. And so now we're getting ready for the um construction part, which is I didn't realize, well, yes, I do. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Sure it is. Yeah. And I've discovered that, you know, some people aren't as friendly with money. You know, it's like, it's not like somebody said, hey, man, here's like $10,000, fix it. it. It's not like that. And yeah. that's okay, you know, in God's mm-hmm. time. And so mm-hmm. it's cool. So this is a project you've been working on for a couple of years and mm-hmm. you're making some nice progress. Yes. And I know you're a big name around the speaking circuit around Orange County. And you, you're always uh, happy to help out at events and tell your story. And, and I know you're involved in the community that way. Anything you want to talk about with the events and things that you do in that regard? Yeah. How can we help you raise money for, for Brown Manor? Um, well, hire me for an event. <laughs> all, all the money goes there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to... I'm currently, and here's here's some pretty, another cool story. Is um, I, I work a lot. I mean, I literally work for food. I mean, and so um, I work. Now when you for, say when you say work for food, what do you mean? Like all my pros, all the money I make from work uh-huh. is like what I buy my food with instead of a sign. You know, I feed myself. I'm fully self-supporting, declining as a contribution. So, and literally, believe it or not, in the proper context, every one of us work for food. Well, mm-hmm. sure, pretty much, yeah. You know, so when I see people with a sign, it's like, look at yeah. my waistline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so, and I work for everything else, which means I, I, at one point in time, I had two full-time jobs and running my company just so I can get Brown Manor up and going. Nice. You know, I'm getting older now, you know, but I'm not gonna, um, I can't stop what I'm doing as far as work. So I'm, I'm willing to go do anything. If somebody wants to donate, that's fine. You know, Hire me, that's fine. I am working on several projects that's probably going to help Brown Manor uh, come out. But that's my whole that's my whole being right now is getting that place up and running. Okay. What are some of those projects besides like the book and speaking, et cetera? Um, we're currently working with uh, a school on because um, I have um, I have an animated book called um, I was I once had nowhere nowhere to go. And that's going to become a um, an animation. We're currently working on actually making a cartoon mm. of that. And then once the sizzle roll come with come out with that, we're going to pitch to people if they want to pick up that project. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I am working. There's another documentary in the in the can right now about my life. Uh, once we get somebody who wants that, then that'll be fine. Um, and just speaking engagements. I'm working on another book. I actually wrote a workbook on how to deal with homelessness. Oh, I actually wrote a a physical book, you know, on how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I'm constantly doing. And then out in the field, I'm going to school to be, I'm currently in school to be a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. And my specialty is going to be homelessness. Fabulous. Which there is no specialty on homelessness. Yeah. Fabulous. Is this something you're kind of pioneering? Um, you know, pioneer. I'm I'm working on it. I, I reach out to people and let them know, especially right now, since everybody's like, "Oh yeah, let's help the homeless." Like, I got a solution. I can, I can tell you how to deal with this homeless problem. Tell right? us. Well, okay. First of all, we have to look at it for what it is. Okay, a lot of a lot of times people think homelessness is either you know 
chronic, like you just, well, first of all, people don't even realize if you don't have an address, if you live in a hotel room or if you're just couch surfing, you're homeless. Okay. Okay. Let's look at it that way. All right. Okay. And that's chronic. Okay. Um, no, that's, that's, that's acute. Chronic is the people that's out there in the street that's talking to themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the only way we see it in those two different ways. Whether mm-hmm. you're just mm-hmm. lost your job, et cetera, et cetera, or right. you've been out there, it's subtle shades of gray. Right. Mm-hmm. And you need to apply a treatment modality to each shade. Okay. okay. That's why housing first isn't that great because housing first is great for the acute, but for the chronic, you need more stuff. Right. And so if we can figure out how to address it, how to measure it, and how to deal with it, then we can utilize our resources more efficiently and be able to resolve it. That's one. Okay. Number two, approaching homelessness. The biggest piece, I shouldn't tell my secrets, but hey, I like you guys. (laughs) 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 Where people is messing up is the whole self-concept thing about homelessness. Uh That's the piece that they're missing. And when I say self-concept is what is it? that the individual is telling and believing themselves. Mm-hmm. Who do you think you are? You know, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, I'm Anthony, I'm a nurse. Yeah, I'm Anthony, I'm an addict. Okay, if I believe that, that's what I'm going to be. Okay. If somebody's homeless and you go, hey, you're homeless and they believe they're homeless, that's what they're going to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to change that. The narrative. Exactly. Yeah. And we don't do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll say, we'll put a roof over your head and give you some treatment. Okay, great. But are we actually getting really deep into doing some cognitive behavior restructuring mm-hmm. to get you to believe and talk and act like you're somebody different. Right. Yeah. That is what we're missing. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I, I'll tell you something, Anthony, real quick. I know it's your story, but I'll just share a brief one. I, I was going through a real uh, low point in my life. And, uh, you know, the stuff I was doing just wasn't cut in terms of, you know, get me out of this funky mood. And um, I went down to the friendship shelter, the homeless shelter just down Laguna Beach. And I went in and I met with the executive director and I said, look, I'm a, um, <clears throat> I'm a brand new PhD and I want to teach, my vision is to teach homeless people life skills like goal setting, time management, stuff that I did with the executives when I was with a big consulting firm. And they thought, that's a great idea. So I started teaching this class once a week and I would teach and I would talk to the homeless people like they were executives. Mm-hmm. I didn't talk to them like they were homeless. Yeah. And I just talked to them as they were human beings and they were executives and they needed to brush up on their time management, goal setting, negotiation skills. And it was phenomenally successful. Mm-hmm. And what I learned in that experience was that I, I think I did a little bit of good there, but whatever good I did, I got way more out, out of, of it, it, you know, yeah. for me. Yeah. So the, the point is, is that homeless is a big problem. It's getting bigger. When you go down to downtown LA, it's oh. like, oh my gosh, tent city galore. And, you know, the society now runs on such a sophisticated level that if you're, if you're, you know, just below that, you can be out on the street in a New York second. Mm-hmm. We got to face this problem. These are human beings and there are solutions. And you have this unique position having been homeless and now, thriving in Orange County, being not just thriving, you're an example for our community mm-hmm. to, to approach these problems. But I think we got to realize that the way we talk to homeless, it's one thing to hand them a buck, but it's another thing to sit down and have a conversation with them yeah, and, and treat them like they're human because they are. Because they, they are, are human. They are human. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And we forget that sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was working downtown uh, Laguna Beach. I mean, Laguna Beach is like kind of the mecca of, of homelessness. I mean, this is going back in 2000, 
six, I think. And two of my dearest friends were homeless and they always had my back because I would close the shop at, you know, late at night and they would, you know, come in with their coffee. I always felt safe with them. They, I was always looking out for them. They were always looking out for me. And I still see them to this day when I'm in, when I'm in Laguna and it's like, they're just part, they're people. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that um, you have a, um, a certification in domestic violence, right? As do I, the 40 hour training, right? And um, majority of the women and the children who are fleeing you know, domestic violence uh, homes are homeless. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, do not judge a book by its cover. Don't judge people because you don't know what they're fleeing from. You don't know the backstory. We didn't know your story. And my God, you had a really good reason to be homeless as, you know, my friends in, in, Laguna and majority of the women and the and the children out on the street today. Well, not, there's a reason. Yeah, and not just a reason. I mean, it's it's a small miracle that you're alive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I you know mm -hmm. considering the the life you were born into and and all the things going on, the fact that you're, I mean, literally, I'm sure a lot of people that went through that environment are no longer with us. Yeah. You are. Yeah. And. And also I see a theme over and over again with this post-traumatic thriving thing. And that is those who thrive are not just thriving. They're also very anxiously engaged in doing really cool things for the community, things that really matter. Mm -hmm. I was at an event yesterday in Costa Mesa in, <laughs> on uh, Harbor Boulevard. I and think. Wilson, was, just kidding. Guys <laughs> on Newport Boulevard, just to parallel to you. But anyways, I was in this, uh, I was in a church and, um, and I was, we're getting ready for this event. I was speaking at it and all these, and the woman came in from the church. She's all frantic because she was looking for the towels because I have all the homeless come in once a week to take showers, uh, get a, get some fresh food, nice. uh, take a break, uh, do their laundry and um, basically, you know, restock. And they also have people there hiring. They have job interviews. You can build your resume and they have the people coming in with job interviews. So there's some hiring going on. That, that's, by the way, is what a real church looks like. Yeah. Um, and cool. so the thrivers I'm saying, what I'm getting at is that thrivers are not just like, you know, getting uh, degrees and nursing degrees and all the credentials. They, you know, they do that, but they're also giving back to the community and it's mm -hmm. going full circle to help others mm -hmm. that want to be helped to get back on their feet. That's yeah. doing so extraordinary cool. things. Yeah. yeah. And I'm so, I, while I'm on my soapbox, I live in Laguna Beach. And one of the things I'll say about Laguna Beach, I'm so proud of the fact we have two, we don't have one, we have two homeless centers. Mm -hmm. You know, we treat, we treat these people who are down and out with dignity, with some class. Mm -hmm. And we don't uh, feed the habits. You know, there's protocols so the money doesn't go to drugs and booze. Right. But, you know, there's a there's a thrift store right on Broadway mm -hmm. Avenue where homeless can go and, quote, shop for free. They can pick up clean clothes. Um, they're, fe they're fed. They're helped. And anybody who wants to get them back their feet, they will get assistance. Yeah. yeah. They're not treated. These people are treated as people, not as mm -hmm. uh, in something less than that. Exactly. So, I'm proud of that fact. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Laguna Beach. I love Laguna. Yeah. And Costa Mesa, this church, if I yep. could remember the name, I'd say it. I, think it's, I can't remember. I'll, uh, anyway, the point is, 
you know, there's lots, thrivers have this common denominator of trying to do something to help mm-hmm. others. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so many organizations out there, you know, Mercy yeah. House is another one, you know, here mm-hmm. in Aliso Viejo. So God's not done with you yet, Anthony. I know, but I'm tired, but I'm, I'm still ready to go. But you can't, you can't, you got to still keep showing up. God, God still has bigger plans for you and you're doing extraordinary things. And you're a huge example for so many people who are, you know, living life in destitute and, you know, who need to hear stories of hope. Like, my God, I, one, I am that or two, if I don't catch myself, I can be that. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, your story is quite remarkable. Okay. Yeah. Time for me to get back to school. <laughs> well, and speaking of God, you know, this is not really a religious yeah. program per se, but it seems like we all have kind of a kind Spiritual, of common denominator yeah, yeah. here where, where, and I, I just looked it Higher up. Power. I just looked it up. It's crossing. Uh, I, let me get this. Right. Crossing church on Newport Boulevard. Oh so yeah. Shout crossing, out to yeah. Yeah, super cool. Where they're where they're oh lifelines with what? Randy Moretis. I don't know about that. Yeah, but, okay. Ra- yeah, lifelines. Randy Moretis. Okay. okay, well that's cool. That's too, a great. That's a great Friday night evening. That's a great. Oh, this Is was it? on Saturday. Yeah. 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 Well, I was just Love so impressed crossing. with their efforts to help the homeless. Yeah, they're uh, doing great stuff. Yeah, and with the VA. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Good stuff. I, yeah. And it seems that I'm also seeing a, a constant thing with those who are thriving. They, they embrace spirituality at some level. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always, I always try to be very sensitive because it is a ticklish subject. It can get some people pretty, you know, wound up. So let people have their space and however they define that. That's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. But I do see a common denominator where God or a higher power or the mm-hmm. universe, I don't, I don't care what pe- semantics people use, but that's always that spiritual quest. And I loved your story about being in the park mm-hmm. and just having this Epiphany. connection with the divine. That's just so cool. You know, and that seems to be a part, big part of people's um, thriving. Yeah. 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 We all have signs. We all have signs. Uh, you know, it's, we're just, we live such busy, crazy lives, right? Every day. It's like, we're on like overstimulation. And, but if we can just sit still, you see those little hummingbirds, you see those little squirrels, you see the little worms coming up, right? All of that stuff is, is the spirit world, whatever that is, your higher power. It's somebody talking to you. Mm-hmm. Like the other day I'm sitting in my living room and I was talking about my mom and all of a sudden I, in my peripheral, I saw a hummingbird at my window and I'm like, Oh, hi, mom. You know, I don't think I was actually saying something nice about her and maybe she showed up. I don't know, but, but it's true, you know, and those, those little signs, again, this isn't like a religious thing, but, um, but we all, you know, we all should gravitate to something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Anthony Brown, I first just want to say thanks for coming in. I, uh, but I just want to ask you an open-ended question. I, and I hope you walk away feeling like we got your full story. And if you don't, mm-hmm. this is a time to just share whatever you want to share because you got a lot of wisdom. And so I, we're just going to give you the microphone and let you riff with whatever else you want to impart. Hmm. Um, well, thank you. This, is, this has been fun. I um, always want to give voice to those that are um, less fortunate. Mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. do. I think... Um, the reason why my journey is what it was so that I could be here today to give voice to those who haven't found theirs yet. And so that's, that's what I'm big on. Um, we're all human beings, you know, and like I said, we all have an expiration date. There's um, so much 
conflict and internal grief and strife going on. And it's like, why? You know, um, we're not going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. So why not like enjoy our moments? You know, let's work through whatever it is that you're going through so that you can find ease and comfort as we navigate this thing called life. You know, life, life isn't really hard. Mm-hmm. It isn't, you know, it's just sometimes we find ourselves in fear of what we don't know. Yeah. But I've learned to accept everything is exactly what it's supposed to be and everything. It, it's fun. You know, it, it's fun. And so um, I'm here because I'm supposed to be. I, I had to learn that one. You know, I um, there's another story I was thinking about. Um, I don't know if I can share it, but I, I will. Yeah, share you, it. We want um, you to. Yeah. I was um, I was a director of nursing at a at a psychiatric hospital during COVID. Mm-hmm. Okay, and working in a hospital during COVID was was challenging. Yeah. Okay, working in a psychiatric hospital during COVID was interesting, and I remember um, we had a client that was um, her respiratory system was crashing. And I ran and I started, you know, I'm doing oxygen and everything that I do. And my assistant came up beside me and she goes, you don't have any PPE on, aren't you worried? You know, and I'm thinking, I need to save this person's life, forget about everything else. And then afterwards, you know, I told her, I go, you know, it's really funny. I go, you know, I ate out of trash cans and <laughs> I put all kinds of drugs in my body and I was homeless. It's like, you think COVID wants to mess with my immune system? <laughs> you know, and, and that was her response. And that got us through this crisis is that uh, attitude. Yeah. You know, we, we take what happened and we're able to find some use for it. But sometimes we don't know when we're going through it. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that I had to go through everything I went through yeah. to be able to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, whatever is going on, there's a reason for it. We might not understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, but there is a reason for it. I believe, you know, we're connected to a higher source or universe or whatever it is, because this is just, you know, temporary. Yeah. 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 And so let's just smile and just keep on. Attitude is everything. I love your attitude. Well, that, that's a, honestly the first thing I noticed about you, Anthony. Mm-hmm. First of all, the number one thing I noticed was your gigantic the smile. smile. Oh. It was like, wow, that's trademark. <laughs> you gotta try and bottle that and sell that. You make a fortune. Yep. <laughs> no, you know, you're just a bright smile. But but more importantly, you, you just you have a calmness. You have kind of a just a, a calmness and a serenity, I guess, mm-hmm. um, that's very noticeable. I can't imagine you as a carny, you know, getting into fights, but. <laughs> You know, maybe there was a different time where where that where that was a thing. But mm-hmm. whatever you've been doing for the twenty three years of sobriety and it's listen working. to Pink Floyd is is really just beautiful. You just kind of radiate. I, I I mean, I don't want to get carried away here, but you just kind of radius radiate a, a calm uh, kind of sense of uh, it's confidence is the word I'm looking yeah. for. Just a calm, quiet confidence. Uh, where clearly whatever you're doing, whatever you're putting in your cornflakes, it's working. You know. It's yeah. that park experience. I'm okay. telling you, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's. Yeah. So we need to give like gratitude for all of our hardships. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, until you had to help somebody with breathing, you never know how wonderful breathing is. Mm. Mm. You know, there's a saying that Charlie Street, grateful people are happy people. Mm-hmm. And those that aren't, aren't. You know, I'm grateful that I wake up in the morning, you know, mm. I'm, I'm grateful. I was grateful the other day because I had my trash can in my house was overflowing. And I was grateful for that because yeah. I have money to buy fast food to make that mess. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's true. Be Sometimes. grateful to have those dirty dishes in your dishwasher because you were able to have food on those plates, it's right? Exactly. Yeah. And you have water in your dishwasher. Right. You have a dishwasher. Yeah. yeah. And there's yeah. lights that you can see your dishwasher. With. Right. Yeah. Well, and I got to tell you something, in our business here, we got a lot of clients and a lot of them are very, very, very wealthy. Some of them are billionaires. Some of them are, are billionaires and they're very, very kind. They're very, very great. Uh, they're very, very generous and they do really wonderful things. I'm not trying to cast uh, a bad light on people who have done really, really well, but uh, some of them are, are, don't have gratitude. You know, they're, they're, they're phenomenally wealthy and I see their, I see pretty much the whole enchilada because of the work that we do with, with, you know, engaged in that, but there's not a sense of gratitude. It's more, I want more. I want more. I want to buy another of this. I want to buy, you know, they already got a, a big warehouse full of custom cars and they want more cars and they already own an Island. They want to own another mm-hmm. Island. They already, you know, how many suits can you put on? I mean, it's just really how many watches, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of society is so tied up in this materialism, uh, materialism, we're, let's face it, we're all chasing happiness, but, but they go down this wrong route that you, there is no satisfaction. Mm-hmm. What I noticed with you, Anthony, is that there seems to be a quiet, calm satisfaction with the path that you're on. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the way I see it. And you really kind of cut through, you know, the gratitude that, hey, my trash can's overflowing. There's, there's just a sense of confidence and gratitude, which is always a common denominator with those who are really genuinely thriving after a really horrific, you know, mm-hmm. experience. So um, I, I think your your words are really powerful in terms of Very wise. gratitude. Yeah. 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 All right. This has been a pleasure. Well, it's fine. Yes. Thank you. I'm it's glad been a I pleasure. got to everybody. Yeah. yeah. Thank and you again, you can find Anthony on www.anthonyhoward. Brown.com. Brown. Mm-hmm. We got two Browns in there. I know, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not a Brown, but at least our, all our last insert would be. So. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel part of the club. We're the BBB. <laughs> uh, bees. Yeah. It's bees, the bees, Jody. It's the bees. <laughs> all right, everybody. Anthony Brown on Post Traumatic Thriving, where we learn to dive, survive, or thrive. The choice is yours. See you next time. Thanks for supporting our podcast. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe and follow us on your favorite social media. For books, merchandise, or to donate, visit coreiq.com. Post Traumatic Thriving is produced by CoreIQ, a nonprofit with a mission to teach the life skills we all need but are not taught in school. CoreIQ and the Post Traumatic Thriving podcast are for informational purposes only and do not provide medical or mental health advice. Always consult with your licensed medical and mental health care providers.